Ladies and gentlemen, the Nothing But Facts live stream brought to you by Safina Society is also brought to you by Mecca Books. Mecca Books is your place for gaining traditional knowledge and for buying such works. Could you direct it towards me a little bit? There we go. Just turn it. Yeah. So Mecca Books is our, uh, also our Hajj group, and we do our Hajj and Umrah with Mecca Books. It's insane that the Saudi kingdom has not, until yet, the Hajj ministry, not given any Hajj information to anybody. All the companies, even the big dogs, Dar es Salaam, not to say big dogs, but to say the big wigs, the big turbans, right? Dar es Salaam, nothing, no visas, no plane tickets are booked, no confirmation from the Hajj ministry. Isn't that insane? It's very insane. And we're like less than a month from traveling? It's almost as if they're saying, don't go. That's literally what they're saying. We don't care about your coming to Hajj or not. It's the... Absurd. Okay. Our next sponsor is professors121.com because now it's SAT season for studying SATs. And Az, mashallah, because he doesn't teach there because his rate is too high because he got more than 1,600 on the SAT. Right? He got bonus points. He got bonus points for really smart commentary in his SATs. (laughs) And then he went and took the MCATs and he got... A perfect score on the MCAT. Not, not perfect, he's saying. But very close to perfect. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave us this gift that he's helping us produce this live stream and troubleshooting for us all the time. So that's a big name and a big gift. And um, when you do da'wah, it's not you that people are helping. It's the cause that they're helping. Many people, they, they, they forget this perspective and they think that Wow, people are helping me. They're not helping you. Why didn't they help you when you were just doing your own business, right? No, it's the helping the cause of the da'wah that they're helping. The cause of the da'wah is going to move with or without any of us. We have to always keep that in mind. You're lucky to be part of it. Even if you think you imagine yourself to be at, you know, uh, the leader of it, the founder of it, Allah just put that idea in your head, right? And how many founders are there? The successors are way better, Right? Those who came after are way better than the founders, right? So, um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent us these guys. And everything in Safina society, the guys are sort of, they come through, they get some training, they move on, they come back later on in life. And, and that's how we're operating right now. So, you're going to med school next year? Inshallah. Which school did you get accepted? Caribbean? No. <laughs> You're not going to the Caribbean islands? No. You're, you're going to a, like a legit med school here in New Jersey? I mean, I haven't applied yet. I'm oh, you haven't even applied. the whole process. Yeah. yeah. What, what about UMD and J? Yeah, I mean, all those are good. Uh, that's NJMS now. But yeah, that's a very good school. New Jersey Medical School. Yeah. Uh, I was just single too, by the way. So, is Nikah Misiara Solution? Says, oh, I love this. I can read the questions right on the board right in front of me. Is uh, I wish I can you hit Control Plus to enlarge the, your screen? That screen right there is Nikah Misyar a solution. Nikah Misyar is Haramun, 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 Haram. Okay, what is Nikah Misyar? No, you should be able to hit Control Plus. The whole screen will get bigger. 
anyway, if you can't do it, it's okay. I can try to read it. Nikah misyar is haram. A misyar marriage is basically that she forgoes all of her rights. And she basically says, listen, I'll take care of myself. You don't have to hang around. Visit me when we visit me. Right? She herself doesn't want a husband. Okay? Alright? She wants a guy every once in a while. And he doesn't want a second wife. He wants to have fun every once in a while. Right? Everyone. That's basically the idea of the Monsieur marriage. So, um, the Monsieur marriage is... Misyar means sa'ir, on-the-go, on-the-go marriage. It's not a real marriage. And that's why the automat forbade it, because marriage is just supposed to be marriage, right? It's supposed to be something known, public, and and you're doing, it's a public thing, and it's you're establishing a house, right? That's what marriage is. Now, if she forgoes her rights explicitly, then it's not a valid marriage. If she forgoes her rights, like implicitly, then nobody could say anything to you. But in the spirit of it, it's still wrong. So that's why uh, Tuklu Syndrome, he wants a Nisir marriage. Well, well, he's asking, sorry. To say, he's asking about a Nisir marriage. So that's uh, Professors Once One, if you want to get tutored by people just like us. I'm telling you, they got Better really... Maybe even Oz is saying better than me. That's because he took humility class and he did good at that too. So next is patreon.com backslash Safina side. And we have some, we got Patreons, pa- patrons these days. Yasin is saying thank you with Osman Saab. Uh, by the way, I have a Patreon app here that you can go and look at Safina Saidi's patrons. So you can become a patron of this podcast and get the reward of the podcast. You can get a reward. Right? For and and by the way, our Patreon channel, it's one of the prettiest Patreon channels. It's at the chandelier and it says nothing but facts live stream and it's a purple the plum circle with the Safina ship inside of it. Right? And that's how we operate. So how was all how was um your weekends? Okay. How was everyone's long weekend? Because I really needed this long weekend. I was out sick. Friday, knocked out cold, right? Yeah, what happened? You were... Thursday night, I felt it. I knew it was coming. I mean, you get the throat, yeah, yeah. and you get the exhaust, and you're sweating, yeah. and you get the exhaustion. Thursday night, I knew I was done with, right? I was done for. And so, I went home Thursday night. I said, you know, Friday morning, we'll see about the chutbah. And then I... Um, Friday morning, I just about ten o'clock. We rescheduled. Had Sheikh Harun give the second chutbah. No, Harris, and then Harris gave the first chutbah. Sammy gave the second chutbah, and then I was just knocked out cold all day. Harris, yeah, about what? Are you on? Yeah, it was about like um, family and yeah, family, like raising kids. He always goes very good chutbahs. Puts a lot of effort. Yeah, because because there are some dads. I'm, I'm telling you, if your dad's out there, listen very closely. You, you need to have 11 streams with your kids. Listen very closely. This is my theory of, mer- my, of child rearing. This is a theory. 10 streams of love. One of fear. Right? And you also have to treat, teach them how to be a man. Like, I'm shocked by seeing some guys walking, slouched over, 
dressed like a scrub. He's like 14, 15. No one taught him, like, are you going to clean that fuzz off your face? You got peach fuzz everywhere. So in my philosophy, look, we know the dean, right? You either have a beard or you don't, right? I'm gonna, I don't do like something like, all right, just keep it. And you look like an absolute homeless scrub, right? You have a beard or you don't have a beard. It's fudd, in our opinion, Madiki Madhab, to have something on your face of a, something what your society would call a beard. I'm all for that. But you either have a beard or you don't. Clean your face, right? If it looks like you have a dirty face, that's not what the sunnah is. The sunnah is to have a beard that beautifies you and separates you from being a female. That's our understanding of the sunnah. So, it, so you got this peach fuzz. I'm saying to you, clean up your face. Okay? Walk with your back straight. Iron your clothes. And I'm shocked, shocked, shocked to see some dads, they don't do this. They don't talk to their kids. They have no relationship with their kids. So that's what Harris's chutbah was about. Because we were chit-chatting before that. And we were, we were noting that there are some kids, you just see them like, they're, they're traveling the path to adulthood very well. And others are not. And that's the problem. It's the dads. Okay. Now, for the women, they could say they have their own thing of what's right to be a woman, right? Like, what's the right way to be a woman in our society, in our community? And we believe in that, right? Genderized or not genderized, what do I care what the uh, people outside of our belief system are saying about morals and how to live, right? You guys live how you want to live. See how long it lasts. And we're going to live how we want to live. Okay? So, uh, it's so important to have lines of communication like that. Alright? So, today's topic, as you all know, is always Shema'il. It is Shema'il of the Messenger, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And then it's open QA, because we didn't do open QA last time. So we're going to continue reading Shema'il of the Prophet, peace be upon him. Khala White is in Canada. She didn't know that we were off. Yeah, we were off. Uh, we take off uh, for the regular holidays so that people could be with their, their La Familias. Okay. Um, Ilyas 2XL. Is that Lahoz? Probably not. Probably not. He's not on Instagram. And he's probably working right now anyway. Babu Salat al-Duha. The morning ibadah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Okay. Alright. Prince Matthew Gaming says, I heard you cannot use a razor when you're still young to make your beard come out better. Is that true? We don't have any such laws that you can never, a razor cannot touch your face. It's not part of our fiqh. The Sahaba trim their beards, the sides, they cut. And you got people with patchy beards and stuff. So I don't recognize, and neither do many shiuch, that the sunnah is to go out, is is just that you never touch. No, the sunnah, this beard issue is maqul al-mana. It's rationally comprehensible, sunnah. It is, the handsomeness of a man is in his beard, and it separates him from being a female. Full stop, right? Plus, there's a barakah to it, because all the prophets, of course, had beard. Also, Abu Jahl had beards too, right? But, we have to have a beard the way the prophet had a beard, right? Which is, trim the mustache, and make the intention that you're having a beard in emulation of the messengers, in separation of male and female, and in fulfilling the sunnah of how Allah wants us to look is that man beautifies himself with beard. But, so being that that's ma'kulit al-ma'na, it's something rashly comprehensible in that respect. If you're some patchiness, you are allowed to clean that up. Okay? Maybe not in, in some fiqhs, like I know uh, other madhabs may have their fiqh. Ahlan wa sahlan, have your fiqh. And we have 
our fiqh. And Sheikh Zuhair has a wonderful video on this. Any way you could link that video? Yeah, I'll send it to Ryan and then he'll Yeah. Haddathana Mahmoud ibn Ghaylan. Haddathana Abu Dawood al-Tayalasi. Big muhaddath, Abu Dawood al-Tayalasi. Big compiler of hadith. Haddathana Shu'ba an Yazid al-Rishk. Qala, sami'atu Mu'adhata qalat. A woman, her name is Mu'adha. She said, to Aisha, radiallahu anha, Akana nabiyu sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sallam yusalli al-duha. Did the Prophet used to pray salat al-duha? Qalat, na'am. Duha prayer is two, up to whatever you want, or up to eight, or even whatever you want, including what you missed of tahajjud the night before. Okay, that's salat al-duha. And the morning ibadah. When you wake up, let's take, let's go over the morning routine. When you wake up, the first thing the Prophet Sallallahu did when he woke up was wash his mouth and his nose, his hands, his mouth and his nose. Before doing anything, the Prophet washed his hands, then his mouth, then his nose. In Sahih Muslim, Prophet says, the first thing when you do, when you wake up, you wash your hands because you do not know where your hand spent the night, which means your hand may have touched your private parts in the middle of the night, right? He also said, you wa- he also is narrated by Ibn Abbas to that the first thing he did when he woke up is he brushed his teeth with a miswak. Whether you use a miswak or a toothbrush, you're fulfilling the baseline purpose of the sunnah. And if you use a miswak, you're fulfilling the specific sunnah. So, so we don't say that the miswak is useless, but we also don't say that the miswak is not rationally comprehensible uh, in terms of what its purpose is. We know what the purpose of the miswak is, is to clean your mouth. So whether or not you, whether you use a miswak or whether you use a regular toothbrush and toothpaste, that element of the sunnah you're fulfilling and if you use a miswak, then yes, you're now fulfilling something extra in emulation of the Prophet. Because that emulation of the details is part of also part of the love of the Messenger, peace be upon him. Okay? So we do accept that while recognizing that many sunan are what's called maqul al-ma'na. It's rationally comprehensible. There's a reason why. So whether you use that te- tool or this tool, it doesn't matter. Okay. Next. He said, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he used to wash his nose. Snuff out the nose right away. Why is that? Because the Prophet said also in Sahih Muslim that the shayateen, we are, there are shayateen living amongst us all the time. Whether we know it or not, whether we like it or not. They also, they, he said they reside around the nose of the person. And we know that the Prophet sallallahu said that shaitan can almost enter the veins of the person and he runs through the veins of a person it's as if they can somehow infiltrate inside of our body and they're going to get that through the nose so we wash the nose out right away hey Oz um, you can take take the fan for a little bit for yourself no I insist yeah yeah and then Ryan's going to get it next. I think there's another one downstairs. Yeah, actually, you know what? I'll get that. Isn't our power going to sh- get shot? If we do that? You're fine? Okay. okay, good. So that's the first thing you do when you wake up. you got to wash yourselves. Now, another thing that you first thing you got to do when you wake up 
that is not from sunnah, but is from life, general life, which I believe is very important, is to clean your bed, to make your bed, essentially. It seems like it's a habit of all the clean people in the world that they, they, they make their bed first thing in the morning. Weren't you taught as a kid to make your bed first thing in the morning? It gives a sloppy image to your home. Save your questions, by the way. Save your questions so that we could take them live. If you have a question, rewrite it as soon as we announce live questions. Okay? Alright. Next thing is that you clean up your bed. Now you have your morning ibadah. And the morning ibadah of the Prophet ﷺ is to pray two rakahs or two rakahs plus what he missed of tahajjud. Okay? If he slept through tahajjud, he would pray what's called his wird of salah in uh, the morning. Okay? In that duha time. And the sahaba, between fajr all the way until dhuhr, there was no salah. So they were feeling dryness in their hearts. So the Prophet ﷺ instituted salat al duha. Okay? Now stick it here, Ross, so you can be right next to your face. It won't reach him anyway, either way. This might be a heater, by the way. Anas ibn Malik said that the Messenger وسلم, used to pray six rakahs of duha. So, in the Maliki school, duha, these nawafir that don't have, have specifically have a name, because duha is not the name of the prayer, it's the name of the prayer, but it's really the prayer of duha time. Duha is the time. It's not like a specific salah, like salat al-khusuf, salat al-khusuf, salat al-ayn, salat al-istisqa. So, its rakahs is fluid. Two, four, six, eight. Likewise, the nawafil before dhuhr. Two, four, or more. After dhuhr, two, four, or more. And it's usually like waiting for the imam. That, that, those nawafil are if you're waiting for the imam. Likewise, asr. There's nawafil before asr. Waiting for the imam. There's nothing before maghrib though. After maghrib, Two, four, six. Okay? And we don't have anything after Aisha and the Madiki Method. Okay. Next. From Ummahani. Who is Ummahani? Fakhita. Bint Abi Talib. The Ummahani is the woman that the Prophet grew up with. She was slightly younger than him, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He loved her intelligence and her character. She's Ummahani. She then he then proposed to marry her to his uncle. And he's he proposed. But the Prophet at the time, the prospects for him in terms of his wealth, he was a shepherd. And Abu Talib was worried that Ummahani would not be in taken care of. So he had promised Ummahani to a very rich man and from a tribe and that tribe which was very well off had married two of their daughters to the Hashimi clan so he said we have good relations with them and now we're going to marry our daughter to them okay and the Prophet ﷺ said we've already married some of our daughters to them some of the women of our clan to their tribe so I don't see that that's the real reason right that's not the real reason right of course we know that Allah has a wisdom in this. Ummahani was such an ally of the Prophet. As soon as she 
he announces Islam, she entered Islam. Okay? That's Ummahani. Fakhita bint Abi Talib. She entered Islam. Likewise, her mother entered Islam. Who was her mother? Fatima bint Asad was the mother of Ummahani and the wife of Abu Talib. And the Prophet used to say, she's my mother after my mother. Fatima bint Asad. As soon as the Prophet announces Islam, the entire Talib family, all of them entered Islam except for the uncle. Because he was just, he had this hesitation and he never took the shahada according to what is sound and according to a narration that is da'if because it has an unknown person in it. Hamza ibn Abi Talib said, I heard him, sorry, Al-Abbas said, I heard Abu Talib whispering the shahada and the Prophet said, I didn't hear it. And we re- that sort of outweighed by the Prophet statement that he is suffering the least punishment in the hellfire. Some scholars try to bring these two together in, a, in an attempt to bring it together by saying, well, what's the least, who is the least punished in the hellfire? Isn't the least punishment of the hellfire to the believers who had major sins? And so they attribute the punishment of Abu Talib to the sin of not saying the shahada out loud as opposed to kufr. Allahu alam. But we know that the Prophet, it's the hadith of the Prophet, that he has the least punishment in the hellfire. We know that sound. Is that the least punishment of a mushrik or of a uh, sinful Muslim? Okay. Now here's another thing. When he died, the Prophet ordered Abu Talib, uh, Sayyidina Ali, go and bury your father. And the Prophet and Ali said, "Should I bar- should I bury a mushrik?" Sayyidina Ali, my dad's a mushrik. The Prophet ﷺ did not negate that and say he's not a mushrik. He shed the shahada. Wouldn't it be obligatory for the Prophet to say that if he's a Muslim? Right? And wouldn't the testimony of one person suffice in Islam? So if one person comes and says this person's a Muslim, that's enough. If an Abbas says he shed the shahada, isn't that enough? Right? So that's also an argument. The, the other side argues that the Prophet may have not said that for wisdom and that him telling Ali to bury him is a sign that he's a Muslim. And we say, no, that's not the case. Because a Muslim is allowed to bury a mushrik. Right? If you're a Muslim and you live with your parent and your parent dies, what do you do? You just don't bury him in the Muslim graveyard. You don't pray janazah on him. Was, did he tell Sayyidina to pray janazah on him? Right? No. He said, bury your father. And the burial of the mushrik, let's say your non-Muslim parent dies, you bury them in the Christian graveyard if they're Christian, for example, or a regular general graveyard if they're not Muslim. You wouldn't have to, you would just do it respectfully. No obligation to observe any of the shari, the Islamic legal burial mechanisms or, or, or rituals. For example, washing them. Right? Death nullifies your tahara. Right? When you die, like when, when, when anything of life comes out of you, you're, you need to take a ghusl. So semen comes out of a man, takes a ghusl. Egg menstruation comes out of a woman, she needs to take a ghusl. Okay? Reproductive behavior between husband and wife, they take a ghusl. Well, 
isn't the soul the most life-giving force? So when that comes out of you, you take a ghost. That's why we wash the dead. Because al-maut is min asbab from the reasons that you lost your tahara. So we wash the... Now this Muslim, this, this kafir, he's not a Muslim in the first place, right? So he's... That doesn't really apply to him. So anything respectful, okay, to the body, because we still hold that the body has to be respected. Prophet stood for the Jewish man who was traveled, who was who was dying. I'm going to repeat this for everybody. I'm not going to scroll up for your old questions. When we start the live Q and A, save your questions for the live Q A, okay, uh, or or and repeat them for the live QA so that I don't have to scroll so I can answer all the questions live. Does that make sense, right? Yes. Okay, so that's how a Muslim will bury their non-Muslim family. And you will go to any non-Islamic graveyard, non-Muslim graveyard and bury them respectfully there. No prayers, no rituals, no ghusl necessary, no specific, no rituals except general respect. And no dua. Many people ask, why can't we make dua for the non-believers? I tell them, the non-believer does not want your dua. If you wanted your prayer to your Islamic God, he would have become a Muslim. So, can am I able to tell a Muslim, to tell a, a Christian or a Jew or a Hindu or a Kafir or an atheist, whatever, all, any sinf, any category of non-believer, here's my, I'm forcing you to pray. Can I do that? We know that we're not, we're not is that prayer valid? No. So, if I can't force him to pray in this life, he doesn't, he has, he, he's just demonstrated he doesn't want my God. He doesn't want my prayer. He doesn't want my heaven. He doesn't want my hell that I believe in. Likewise, after death, he doesn't, we also don't pray for them. Because he didn't want it in life. What about those who never heard about Islam or died as children? That is a special category. That's mulhaq bil kuffar. We say that people who had never heard of Islam or died as children or were insane or were like, could never receive the da'wah by being blind and deaf, for example, or whatever reason, we say that they are in the Ash'ari Aqidah saved by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Najun min ahlil jannah. Period, full stop. No matter what they did. Wama kunna mu'adhibina hatta nabatha rasula is an explicit verse that overrides everything else in the Ash'ari Aqidah. And so, what we say about that is that they are not people of Jahannam and kuffar in the otherworldly sense, but in this worldly sense, we treat them as that. That's the legal category they go into. Okay? Now you have to understand this. happens many times in the Sharia that you may not be something, but you're treated as that. Okay? Likewise, Al-Abbas, wasn't he secretly, in his heart, a Muslim? And the Prophet said, at the Battle of Badr, said, he doesn't want to come out with us there are people from Mecca, they don't want to go out, they're forced to. And the Prophet knew that there's a wisdom of not forcing Abbas, or not coercing, or not pushing him to enter Islam so that we could have a spy inside. So he never outwardly gave his shahada, but every other action that Abbas took showed that he's a supporter of the Prophet, peace be upon him. Well, the Prophet ﷺ take him to negotiate his deal with Yathrib and the tribes of Yathrib, the Aus and the Khazraj of Yathrib. So Sayyidina al-Abbas was not a Muslim at that time. All right? Way later, he opened his, openly took his shahada. So the Prophet ﷺ knows what's in his heart. Okay? Otherwise, he wouldn't have taken him with him as a negotiating helper. Right? But 
he's still to be treated as a kafir. So there's many things like that. So the children who die, people who die outside of Islam, they didn't legally, technically take shahada. Even if they're not kuffar technically, because they never received the message and rejected it, we treat them as kafirin, and we they're buried with non-Muslims, and we also do not pray for them. Okay, So when we don't pray for somebody, number one, it does not necessarily necessitate that rahmah doesn't reach them. Don't overestimate your dua on one hand. Your dua is not the only route for Allah's rahmah. So that's the first thing to understand. Number two. Okay, and the proof of that is that they say that um, there are, there is a category that the scholars don't co- comment on, and they say yes, we we treat them as kuffar that have not have received the doubt. Where that is the very old people, set in their ways, 70, 80, where their judgment's cloudy. Do they understand the magnitude of things? Do they have the capacity to make changes in their lives? Right? We say Allah will judge them, but they are mulhaq bil kuffar, mulhaq, legally treated as rejectors of faith. Okay? So that your old grandmother, you gave her uh, da'wah. What is the baseline of giving da'wah? The baseline of giving da'wah is like saying to somebody, listen, this building is on fire. All the exits are blocked except the front exit. The one with the green sign on it. Go there. If you said this to a person once, are you legally liable if they get burned or not? Let's say they're half their body are burned. Can they sue you? They cannot sue you. You've legally, the burden is off of you. You have informed them. So if, I'm, if there's a fire in the building and I get on the mic system and I say, everybody get out of the building immediately from the front exit because all the other exits are not uh, 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 working. They're blocked. Nobody can sue me anymore. In the same way, this world is a building and there's a fire waiting. Okay. So all you have to say to have technically given a da'wah in the Sharia is there is a God who is going to judge us and there is a fire that is eternal for those who do who fail the test and you pass the test by believing in Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. He's the messenger that God sent. At that point, you've done your that's I'm not saying that that's the ideal da'wah. It's not. We have to do a lot more, right? But we have done the bare minimum that puts them in the category of having received the da'wah. Now, if someone comes and tells you, your home is on fire, that's enough, right? My house is on fire. Now, if a guy passes, oh, your, your clothes is on fire, that's enough. He doesn't have to say, what's the proof? Oh, say it in a nice way. He does not have to say any of that. Say it in a nice manner. Say it in a language that relates to me, right? Say it with a joke. Say it with some kind of a TikTok. No. Your clothes is on fire. That's enough. So that is enough technically. But um, that's not to say that we are not obligated to do way more. You see the difference? Same way. You want to save yourself? Yes, the five prayers are obligated, obligatory. But in order to save yourself in this environment, you got to do a lot more than just pray five times a day. Make sense? Yeah. Sheikh Murad, he brought this up in our class yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, this is why we like we should know both the 
scriptural proofs yes. for the existence of Allah, like the Quran and the Sunnah. But we should also know the rational proofs. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why the ayah in the Quran, the dua in the Quran, Rabbana la taj'alna fitnatan lilladina kafaru. Yeah. Because if we can technically present the da'wah to them yeah. in a way like that, you know, we're legally, like, we gave it to them. Yeah. But they look at us and they see us to be like, you know, unpleasant people to look at. Yeah. Or they think that we're backwards mm-hmm. or, you know, they think that we don't actually have a rational reason for believing in them. We can actually be the people who are increasing them in their kufr. And that, you all heard what Oz just said, we can be the fitna that, yes, technically, he has received the da'wah. He may go to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the day of judgment with a plethora of excuses of why he felt it was perfectly reasonable to reject everything that comes out of this person's mouth, right? And we would do the same exact thing, right? We already do the same exact thing, okay? Any guy who comes up to me and gives me a piece of information, I'm going to say, no, unless he gives me some major emergency piece of information, right? A guy says, hey, your four-year-old child, I saw a stranger walking with her alone. I don't care who you are, I'm going to investigate that. That's the baseline, right? But we as Muslims... The method of da'wah is to imitate how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala prepared Ahli Mecca, the people of Mecca. He prepared them with a generation of Abd al-Muttalib being, having the reputation of being a godly man and a man close to Allah, and Allah does things through him. So that when his grandson come and say, I'm a prophet, no surprise. We call that street credibility. Okay? So our method of da'wah, let's say here in this da'wah center, is... Interaction, positive, non-stop positive, caring interaction of giving, 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 giving. And just because, by the way, our goal was one dinner a week for 2022. By 2030, seven days a week. And the seminary, the ma'had, running. And we want the second building next door. Okay? Seven days a week, dinner is served. No kid in New Brunswick should ever not have dinner if we're around. That's what I want people to say. I want someday, and I'm not, I don't do this political stuff, but the mayor in 50 years to say, no kid in this area, in these blocks, has ev- can ever go hungry from dinner okay, because of this organization. You do that for 50 years. You do that for 40 years. That's just the beginning. You were just laying the groundwork. So when I came and some guy says, you guys call this a Dawa Center, and it's been three months, and I haven't seen a single pamphlet being given out, I said, that's why you're not in the Dawa, you're not in in Dawa, you're just a regular person, because you don't even know what you're doing. If you think that that's Dawa, it's not Dawa. Okay? It's not Dawa. So that's, 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 when we talk about Dawa, there is a baseline, but there is the right way to do things. And we have that all... What's the baseline of being a Muslim? Let me bring something up. It's, it's going around these days that... Or today, that a transgender person was at Ikna. And a transgender person was saying, you know, that they don't understand us, blah, blah, blah. And that the women were not comfortable with me at the wudu. Now, the, it looks like a female, but the face is clearly, you can see, it's got the structure of a male. We know this, right? We can see the face. And they put it on their Facebook and everything. Another good example is, how do we treat somebody like that? If you've completely transformed their outside, and it's a complete woman on the outside, that doesn't make it right or halal for us to do 
nor do we recognize that that is a female. But the Sharia will dictate to us that you treat them, by the way, in fatwa, not as in, this is not like a universal opinion, this is the fatwa of some scholars. And I said this before, Sheikh Saeed al-Buti, Sheikh Mahmoud Shabib said this, others. That doesn't mean that that's what they are. So how the Sharia treats somebody does not necessitate that that's what they are. But what else are you going to do? And by the way, by the way, we don't believe in a core crux of what they did. And we may think it utter insanity. But they grew up in that water that's feeding them that, right? To a degree, I can understand that. If you grow up in a society where they tell you the emperor has no clothes, and everyone's telling you the emperor has no clothes, and you say, I believe the emperor has no clothes, but I want to become a Muslim now, right? There is a role of some people to say, I'm not condoning what you're saying. I don't believe in what you're saying. Yet at the same time, we'll teach you Islam, right? We will teach Islam to everybody. We will not condone what you're saying. Yet at the same time, there has to be a level of, uh, of I'm not going to say it's tolerance for the belief. I'm not going to say it's, but I am going to say, if people are raised, bombarded from every turn on a certain doctrine that is false, okay? And they've internalized it, and they have not let it go, yet they come into Islam, it is recognized, commonsensically, it will take time for that belief to change. It's not going to change over, overnight. And it may need 5-10 years of praying, of being around Islam, of reciting the Quran, before their heart is open to letting go of a certain belief that's false. Right? I can imagine when Islam enters into Northern England and Ireland, that there will be many people who say, yeah, Islam is right. Don't tell me to stop drinking. Drink is in my blood. Right? The pub is my life. Don't even bring up the subject of drinking. You know what I'm going to say to him? I'm not going to bring it up. That is not a condoning of what he's saying, but it's, it's taking things in gradation. Tell me what else you're going to do. Right? It's taking th- the matter in gradation. That guy, I would tell him, you deserve to, to be taught Islam. You, you have... They have to be taught Islam. It's not a condoning of what he's doing. But it is an understanding that human beings change so slowly, right? So slow. If I tell a Muslim youth or a frat boy, are there even frat boys today? I don't know with all the LGBT. Are there frat boys exist? Okay. That you're going to come in Islam, but you got to stop watching pornography, right? Now, this is something just because it's secret. This other thing is public, Right? Pornography tends to be something people do in secret. You think that... For me, now. For now, unfortunately. And actually, it's not, not even secret? Yeah, yeah. I'm, all, I'm old, I guess, right? Yeah, no, no. They, they, they share it with each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you serious? Yeah. You're kidding me. What do you mean? Not Muslims, though, right? No, not Muslims. Okay, but... Yeah, so maybe I'm even out of touch with that. But in our day, pornography is not something you went and announced to people. You're even a little bit embarrassed by it, Right. Like the the kids on my team, in the locker rooms, like it, like I remember in the locker room playing in men's leagues and stuff. It's not something you talked about, right? Even though everyone knows that they they may have done it themselves, but it's not something you talked about. No, now it's just now it's normal. Out okay, of so you you tell these guys, all right, listen, that's that's haram. 
is it reasonable to expect he's going to drop this addiction and this habit right away? So I would say, listen, people deserve to be taught their deen. They deserve to pray. They deserve to be in masajid. No. Here's the problem. Masajid are community places. You might want to be very selective now about your community places. If you're going to, if you're, don't watch your kids exposed to certain things, then urban, diverse masajid might not be for you. That's just a fact, right? Like if you got a, a, a mosque in the city or a mosque in an urban area, that's not a nice, cozy neighborhood mosque where everybody knows everybody, little mosque on the prairie, right? You are going to get what we call in Egyptian ashkel. Ashkel, you had a word like this in Urdu? Ashkel. Ashkel means looks, colors. It's a word to mean all sorts of what you don't want to see, right? Or what you don't, you don't want your kids to see. Okay. And frankly, I want to go to the masjid, I want to see wholesome, regular people who are practicing Islam, right? So, uh, but that people deserve to receive their dawah, okay? And they deserve to worship. So we do have to recognize that. All right, so that's a little aside that it's going to happen more and more and more. And this thing with Ikna is making the rounds. And we all have to be educated on our policy in our fiqh and our policy, our emotional policy, our emotional reaction to this thing. And all of the things that may trickle domino effect after this. All right. The fatwa that I mentioned of Bulti and Shabib is not the it's just a fatwa. It is not the be-all and end-all ruling. But give me another one. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? A person in a complete women's outfit comes, lines up with all the other women. What are you going to do? You're going to make a scene? All right. You bullied one out. What happens if two come? What happens if ten come? What's the policy? Right? You know what it's going to be? Can't make wudu in the masjid anymore if you're a girl. Don't make wudu at home. We're going to make stalls for the wudu now? Because they don't want it. To, they don't believe he's a man, he's a woman, right? They don't believe it. I can't blame them. And they're not comfortable going with this fatwa, treat them like a woman. Because I'm looking at your eyes, you're a man, right? So they're not taking their hijab in front of them. They're not rolling their sleeves up in front of them. And they're not going to bring their daughters, let them go to the daughters, go to the bathroom in front of them. So what are you going to do? Make hijra, I guess. Have you had a chance to listen to Imam Zaid's uh, podcast that he did with, uh, you know, Rashid and? No, I didn't hear what Rashid. Uh, what that? What did they say about the uh, the trans? Um, it was it was excellent. I think um, Imam Zaid's like he really kind of outlined the position. Yeah. And he clarified a lot of the you know the the comments that he had previously, and he really kind of outlined it. And one of the inconsistencies that he pointed out was that you have a group of people who have said no that they deny the gender binary. Yeah. There are a group of people that have said, oh, we don't believe in men or women. We believe that gender is a spectrum. Okay. And now if you're coming in into a space that does conform to the gender binary, and now you're, you're there for the sole purpose of causing fitna, you're p- deliberately putting yourself into a space and, like that you know is going to be hostile towards you. Yeah. And you're saying no. I insist on changing this space to so because I don't conform to the binary. Yeah. But you're putting yourself in that situation, and I think the whole podcast was worth listening. That's now that's assuming that the person 
is there to cause fitna. Right. Because we could have provocateurs, of course. Yeah. But I also do have seen genuinely people are of that type and they want to become Muslim. Now, is there shahada even valid? If you believe in amal qawm lut, in, in, in uh, homosexual behavior, you believe that that's good, right? Yeah. And that's acceptable. So the validity of your shahada is one thing. That's In a sense, though, that is just an abstract and academic discussion because he's coming to the mosque. What is the policy? Are you going to pick him up with his two shoulders and throw him out of the mosque? No. You're not doing that. What are you doing? Right? And we have, by the way, we have a brother who's argued with me. I don't know if brother or not, but because he's argued with me, he said, no, this is acceptable behavior. Right? And he wants to be part of the community. Huh? Right? That's his indiq for us, yeah. right? But as a, he's a convert, he's still learning, so the tolerance level might be a little bit different. So what do I say? This is my opinion. I'm politely saying what I believe, is, and and what is the truth? It's not the truth because I believe it's the truth. No, this is absolute for us. This is haq, right? Muhammad is a prophet, as haq as the sky is blue, okay, and the sun comes out from the east every day and sets in the west okay but as someone who's you're dealing with a convert here it seems like it, it just seems to me that you have to work with the situation you have am I going to kick him out of the mosque you, your Oz says you should kick him out of the mosque if he spreads it that's yeah, the line. Because, like, I'm just that's thinking, the line. If he you spreads want him it, him to be talking to your kids in the same way no, that uncles are talking to you. Know. No, that's that's the that's the line. The line is, will he be kicked out of the mosque? I said, if he spreads it, if he's preaching it, if I see him having a side backdoor conversation in the hallway with the kid, or just spreading it, or spreading it online, so he becomes famous for that, right? Then yes, that's different. Then I would say. You're actually causing fitna, and what you can't, you, all you could do is make them feel uncomfortable. That's it. By preaching your message. That's all you could do. Right? I mean, are you comfortable at the gay pride parade? No. So they make you uncomfortable. You come to a mosque, you're going to feel uncomfortable. Go to a Trump rally, you're going to f- feel uncomfortable. Right? Uh, you will be made to feel uncomfortable. So that is, that's the only, so that's the only thing to do. So okay. Tafsir of Surah Hud. All the time, every day. All day, right? All day. People say, well, you, why do you talk about this so much? Bro, how do you bring this to me? My Cheerios in June is gay. My Cheerios box is gay, right? That little bumblebee is homosexual every June. Why is that? So you are blaming me. They're bringing it from every corner, every walk of life. And here we are on June 1st today, isn't it? May 31st. Tomorrow's June 1st, okay? Every single thing that is insignificant with sexual behavior becomes gay. And you're telling me why you're talking about it, right? Unbelievable. But point being is what we're saying here is that there there has to be a degree of um, we have to make policies for these things. Because no policy, you know what it will lead? Then when there's no policy the loudest and fastest person to act in the mosque will take over. Yeah. Right? And will do something that probably will damage the mosque. Yeah. Right? And that's the problem. I think the policy of Imam Malik is best. Not it's even a, a word. Not even half a word. Not a, not a word. Not a discussion. We're not even having a, a debate about this. And come in, 
do what you want. But if you're going to preach this message, you're not going to feel comfortable. And I'm the first person who's going to end it, right? Because, subhanAllah, fitra. Fitra. You want, you love, okay? You love uh, consistency, all right? You love loyalty. I love loyalty. I love knowing that everyone's on the same page here in this masjid, okay? One person, by the way, there's a brother. He was a Salafi. But he was like coming to the masjid, hanging out with us. I caught him one day. Power was out in all the neighborhoods around us, except in our masjid. The power was out. So the uh, Asim, the board, the, the, the emir of the community said, let's buy some chicken and some, some drinks. And because we're the only people who have power. And everyone comes and enjoy themselves from Maghrib to Isha. So we did that. And I saw this Salafi brother having a discussion and saying, Kullu bid'atin dalala, citing that hadith. So I said, oh, right? What are you coming into our masjid here and bringing your doctrines about bid'ah? Because I know that, he said, oh, it's a valid opinion. I said, valid or not valid? The masjid has a policy, right? And the policy is that this is what we preach. We don't preach everything valid, right? There are many valid things that contradict. We have a menhaj here. And anyway, don't play games with me because I know what you mean and what you're inciting when you cite that hadith. You are leading to a whole nother menu item, to a whole nother path of Islam, okay, than what we're leading to. So I got upset. And Qari, mashallah, because he's like, he has his own rules. He stood up over the little halakha that they had. They had a little halakha going, right? How do you have two halakhas in one mosque, right? And he said, get up and leave, right? Oh my goodness, right? He shut it down. So a couple of weeks later, or a couple of days later, the brother comes and he says, I want to talk to you. He said, what happened was wrong. What happened? I said, it's not wrong, okay? He said, I was just citing the hadith. I was like, listen, don't play games. I know what you're preaching. You know what I'm preaching. Don't bring the two opposite things in the same mosque. Don't come and try to preach that in the mosque. I said, by the way, I have my eye on you because I know that you're smart, you have knowledge, you're likable, you can cause problems for me here. There's one policy per mosque. Okay? You may be 100% right, but there cannot be two drivers on one, one wheel. So he said, that I agree with. Ever since that meeting, we've been friends. And the, they Salafiyah went to Hanbali. They became Hanabila, right? They became Hanbalis. So we're even more friends now. Alhamdulillah, we're friends. Okay. So likewise, if these other groups come, it's just going to have to be you know, one I mean, way or the other. What's stopping them? You know, if Make your own masjid. No one's saying don't be Muslim. They're just saying don't bring that type of you know those type of arguments yeah. into our safe space. Exactly, they, they and they and they can't have an old message. All these muqtadiyah, uh, it they're following whims, right? Yeah. When you follow whims, you can't be pious over the long term. And what's your policy of your mosque going to be, right? How do you have a policy? How do you have a what, what's your menhaj? It's going to be changing every once in a while. <laughs> All right, now let's get back. How did the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam pray duha? It was asked to a Sayyidah Aisha radiallahu anha because the Prophet would wake up obviously in one of the homes of his wives. How did he pray Salat al-Duha? Did he pray it? Qalat la. Illa an yaji'a min maghibihi. She said, no, he didn't always pray duha. Okay. 
he not always prayed loha unless he came okay from a journey then he prayed loha oh by the way we never read the hadith of umahani unbelievable we talked all that talk we never read the hadith of umahani umahani is fakhita bint abi talib she said anna rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam dakhala baytaha yawma fath makkah he visited her on the day of fath makkah faghtasala he took ghusl فسبح ثمانية ركعات. He prayed eight rakats. ما رأيته صلى عليه صلى الله عليه وسلم صلاة صلى صلاة قط أخف منها. I had never seen him pray. The rakats so short, so so short. So the rakats were very very short rakats. غير أنه كان يتم الركوع والسجود. However, it was sound. In other words, there was tumatnina in the ruku, tumatnina in the sujud, but the rakats were very short and and and. Uh, but they were sounds from Abi Sa'id al-Khudri كان النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم وآله وسلم يصلي الضحى حتى نقول لا يدعها لا يدعها ويدعها حتى نقول لا يصليها so Abu Sa'id al-Khudri said he would pray it very consistently until we would say oh, he's never going to leave this off and then he would leave it off for such a long time that we don't he doesn't pray it anymore so certain sunnah, nawafil, are consistently inconsistent. And that's the doctrine of nawafil in the Maliki Madhab is that uh, the nawafil do these things before and after the salah, duha. They're like, when you can pray them, you pray them. If you don't pray them, there's no ithm upon you. Or even a defect in your deen. Whereas witr, if you leave it off, Malik said there's a defect in his deen. If you leave it off permanently, not just once. Like permanently you leave it off. And then we have... عن أبي أيوب الأنصاري. We know that Abu Ayyub al-Ansari is buried in Istanbul, Constantinople. His grave was was discovered after they conquered Constantinople, and there was a celebration for the conquest of Constantinople. You know that? Did you see it? After really nice, beautiful in Turkey. No, the the annual, the the anniversary. They had a nice celebration, lights over over the masjid, the Hagia Sophia when it became a mosque. Right? Muslims are ashamed that Sultan. Mehmet Fatah, the seventh Ottoman Sultan, converted it to a mosque. And why wouldn't he? It's state territory. It was won by conquest, right? He'd not taken a private church and making it a mosque. That is haram for us, right? But it's state territory. I said haram if you forcibly take it. For the state to forcibly take a church away from like a non-profit group. I mean, obviously non-profit is what we call them today. But in the past, if there was just a church... We can't just go take it as a masjid. We don't do that. But it's state territory. And it's conquered territory. Right? Don't we study in America westward expansion? Yeah. And we're like, wow, this wonderful day. When did Oklahoma become a state? And we're happy about it. And they celebrate it. So, same thing for us. We're happy about it. But what happened now? كان يدمن أربع ركعات عند زوال الشمس فقلت يا رسول الله إنك تدمن هذه الأربع ركعات عند زوال الشمس. You always pray these four rakas after the sun passes its zenith. فقال إن أبواب السماء تفتح عند زوال الشمس فلا ترتج حتى يصل الظهر فأحب أن يصعد لي في تلك الساعة خير. سبحان الله. قلت أفي كلهن قراءة قال نعم قلت هل فيهن تسليم 
فاصل قال لا He says, O Messenger of Allah, I see you always praying four rakahs after the sun passes its zenith, as soon as Duhr comes in. Look what the Prophet said. The doors of the skies are open when this happens. From the turning, from the zawal of the sun until Duhr is prayed. And I desire that a good deed of mine reaches the skies at that time. He said, do we recite Qur'an in it? He said, yes. And do we say salam at the end of two rakahs? And he said, no. And that's the Hanafi hujjah, I guess. Okay. Salatu zawal it's called. And it's mustahab. And the majority of the muhaddithin say it's four rakahs. Okay. Before dhuhr. And that's why... It's very important sunnah because dua is accepted at that time. So if we didn't know this hadith and this revives the importance of those two rakas. Okay. But this hadith is not duha. This is the nawafil before dhuhr. And that's why four rakas before dhuhr is so important. So if we were light in it, this should make us strengthen the four rakas before dhuhr. Or the four rakas, well, we should according to the hadith not before the hur it's as soon as the zawal so as soon as the hur comes in four rakas of sunnah okay it is perplexing that a tinmidhi mentions this hadith here okay because it has nothing to do with duha okay but he included it here um, which some say that it was the copier who made the mistake and put it here and it should have been in the next chapter matter what chapter it is. Okay. Again, the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam used to pray four rakahs after Zawal, before Dhuhr, and say the doors of the heavens open at this moment, and I want a good deed of mine to ascend. And again, the, he said, he did four rakahs after the Zawal, and he recited long verses. In Ihya al-Muddin, Sayyidina al-Imam al-Ghazali says, it is desirable to recite Surah al-Baqarah in these four verse, rakahs. Okay. Or surahs that have more than a hundred be- verses because the Prophet ﷺ had done that. Hajib. We have to revive this. Subhanallah Radim. We have to revive this. So it's it's it seems that a copier didn't put the subheading before that, because there's clearly a different subject. So those four rakas before Dhuhr are pretty uh, at the Zawal though. And he says that, he says here that they call it Salatul Zawal. Alright, folks. It's now time for open QA. Ladies and gentlemen, it's open QA time. Any question that you had put up before, put it again because I'm not scrolling up. Why why am I not scrolling up? Because I want to be able to answer the questions as they come. And people who scrolled up probably already left, maybe they left the stream um, or something like that. All right, here we go. First question is, Whoops. Were the Jews of Medina from strangest? Were the Jews of Medina in Arabia because they were kicked out by the Romans or waiting for the Prophet? Both. Both. Except that they did not realize that it would be a non Jewish Prophet. It would be
be a Gentile prophet. Ummi. Be an Ummi prophet. Secret marriages. Haram. Why? Because there's no rights. Madiki Click. Madiki Click. Who here thinks Madiki Click is ready to open up his own gang? He says, I was just wondering, Dhul Qarnain. No, he couldn't defeat yet Juj and Majuj. Uh, good question. Is this why he built a wall rather than fight them? Very good question. Okay. Very good question. And Allah knows best. But that is a good question. Why not fight them? Why build a wall? Why not kill them? Could be that you're just said they're just saying that there is a uh, dispute so that I have no reason to have a dis- to kill you you're just having a dispute so I'll put a wall Allah Adam very well could be you know that no human beings are given power over Yajuj and Majuj even Sayyidina Isa he's not given permission over them good question there um, Nimra says apart from the Mu'awwidatayn Yaseen Mulk what other surahs should be recited daily Waqa'a according to the Sahabi Anas bin Malik is the Jaf Surah Sajda is, uh, in the evenings. Is the Jafari Madhab? Ahl Sunnah? No, it's not. No. Who is Umm Ayman? Umm Ayman is Barakah. Barakah, the servants of Khadija, or the servant that Khadija had uh, um, had when she married the prophet from before, way before. She was the servant from the Bani Hashim. Okay? Barakah, servant of the Prophet. And then she married Zaid. She is Umm Ayman. Okay. HK, uh, your tweet about angels, can you explain the method of how to ask for their help? If you're lost, if you're in trouble, the Prophet simply said, this hadith says, Imam Ahmad acted upon it. So did Imam An-Nawi. Ya ibad Allah, a'inuni. O servants of Allah, help me. That's when you're khalas. You, you have no, I'm totally stuck. I have no help. The Prophet said, Say, Ya ibadallah a'inuni. Or, Ya ibadallah ihbisu. Imam Ahmad, when he was lost in the desert, he kept saying, Ya ibadallah duluni ala tariq. Ya ibadallah duluni ala tariq. And Allah subhanahu uh, Then he was shown the tariq. It's, when is zawal? Zawal is right after dhuhr comes in. So your alarm for dhuhr goes off. You make wudu, pray for rakas. Don't you want something from Allah? Right? If you're lazy, okay. If you're lazy, incentivize yourself. Do the jinn have their own sharia? No, they follow the sharia of Islam. But they have their own specific rules where Islam, where our sharia refers to our bodies. So for example, when the sharia tells us something about the human body, like touching our private part with the inside or the side of our hands, breaks wudu, right? The, the Prophet taught the, the jinn the, the sharia regarding their bodies and the sharia regarding their travel. Traveler's prayer is very different for the jinn. So they are Muslims, they follow the sharia of Islam, but they have specific things related to them. And the Prophet taught that to them. Okay. When you refer to non Muslims, says uh, Pasha International, who is Ismail. 
who receive da'wah, does this include people whose only exposure to Islam is Salafiyyah or incoherent understanding of Islam? Al-Ghazali separated himself from the Asha'ira when he, he raised the bar and he said the da'wah has to be done in a good way. But the rest of the Asha'ira simply said that warning, there is a judgment by God and Muhammad is the correct prophet of God, it is a true prophet of God, that bare minimum is what the Asha'ira agreed to. As long as the identity of Allah and His Messenger were not compromised. That's the only condition they put. So for example, if someone says, well, the Prophet is Elijah Muhammad, then it's compromised. If the Prophet is Mirza Ghulam Qadiani, that's compromised. If Allah is a moon god, that's compromised. But God, the Creator, the necessarily existent being that created this universe, who is beyond and transcendent of its laws. Okay? He sent down a messenger named Muhammad who lived in the 7th century in Arabia. Like that Muhammad. That's enough. Ghazali separated himself though from the others by saying that it has to be da'wah done in a good way. Right? Tash Iqbal, he, he likes the beard. He likes the way I comb my beard. You should see Oz's beard. Uthman has like, how do you actually have a perfect fade on the beard? Oh, I just got a haircut. That's you just got a haircut, that's one. Uh, Fatira says, is Aya how, uh, Sophia permissible for treating trauma? Ayahuasca. Ayahuasca. What is ayahuasca? It's a, it's a type of fungus that has an active ingredient, EMT in it. So it if, it's, if you're treating it as a medical... Uh, just a, it's as a medical thing, yes. But what they do though, because they're they're doing this thing uh, with psychedelic treatment now, where like um, organizations called MAPS, where they basically take someone who's had like trauma. you're on right, yeah, yeah. They take someone who's had trauma in their life and they like put them in like a really calm room and make them trip out like take drugs. drugs, like very hardcore, and it, it helps their trauma, but it's like they're no. definitely. Haram. Haram. It's intoxication. Yeah. People These people are shamanists. Yeah. Haram. They'll get they'll get someone and they'll give them a bunch of MDMA and put put like a calm tune on it and the person will come out like um, I'm clear. Of how does it solve anything? It's nonsense. Uh, Cupping says, "How do we fight laziness? Visualize what you desire." You know that some people um, they think that Islam is about misery, ma- making yourself miserable. Okay. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to give. He created you to give you. So if you're lazy, then you don't visualize your goals properly. What makes you wake up in the morning? Right? What makes you happy? Right? You rarely hear this in an Islamic dialogue, but you see it in the Quran. Ud'uni astajib lakum. Ask me and I'll give you. What do you ask Allah? Don't you ask Allah what makes you happy? So if you're lazy, then you need to close your eyes for a second and imagine what is it that Allah can offer you and give you in this world. Okay? That's going to wake you up from your laziness. Next question. Halla White says, May I know the correct Islamic understanding of the hadith about women not going out of the house without a mahram? Is the, 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 the law that Allah has given us in our family matters, our family relations, our husband and wife relations. Husband is obligated to protect wife 
daughter, and any woman that lives in his house. He cannot protect you if he doesn't know where you are. He cannot protect you in certain areas. So therefore, he has the right to tell you, don't go there, because he can't protect you there. Okay? Oh, a woman said, I don't want a man's protection. Do your own thing. Do whatever you want. I could not care less what other people are doing. I'm telling you what God's law is. What is the son of the prophet, peace be upon him? You don't like it? You don't have to like it, right? No one's forcing you to like it. You want to go the feminist route of things and a woman can do whatever a man can do? Clearly not in sports, right? Because these, these trans dudes are breaking every single record and the poor women can't compete. So, but Sharia is selling us the job of a husband, job of a dad, is to make sure that he protects them. Okay. If it's deemed safe, certain travels are safe, and they have a necessary reason, then it's permitted. Like what, for example, going to Umrah with a group, right? You go into Umrah with a safe group, it's permitted. Make maybe other trips even with a safe, large group of Muslim women and community. There can be room for that, right? Hajj, she can go by herself because that's a commandment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's a commandment. And even when you sign for, in Saudi, anybody can sign off as your, your wali, right? At that, during Hajj. For example, there was one uh, community member, her parents had made Hajj, she hadn't, she was like 20 years old, and they had just one of the community members sign off as her wali. That's fine. Because that's a commandment from Allah, that's an obligation. But that's why Allah subhanahu wa the Prophet has created order and systems. So when, if a woman is attacked, first thing we say, where's her mahram? She could, by the way, she could be attacked in her own home, right? We're not talking about exceptions. We're talking about major things. And by the way, back in the day, you have to remember, traveling was very difficult and very likely to, to be attacked. Today, traveling is much safer. And that's why there are fatawa. There are fatawa saying that the, for example, that safety is the group. Even just the fact that there's cops, there's tons of people on an airplane, that's a fatwa. That's not, not the ruling, but it's a fatwa. I know some people who use that fatwa, reliable scholars, and some people who don't. That's the answer to the question. Okay. So women, yes, they can go to group to, to Umrah if there's a safe group. And they can go to Hajj by themselves. And of course, all Hajj is in a group anyway. Abby KM, before we go to YouTube, says, Isn't there an ayah Qur'an where there is no excuse for anyone because Allah took all the souls and made them? Uh, yes, from... Okay, here, here's, here's the point. The difference between Ash'ari and Maturidi. I love this difference. It's a very unique difference. Both of them agree that intellect alone should be sufficient to deny idols. To know that idols, idolatry is false. Okay? However, okay, and, and also that fitra tells you that there is a creator. But fitra can be corrupted. That's a problem. But the asha'ara make a good point. Yes, intellect alone is enough to know that idols did not create this world and did not create you and cannot help you or benefit you. Okay? However, the Asha'ira say intellect alone is not enough for you to know that you'll be punished for not believing in that. So yeah, my intellect knows that this idol is not a god, 
and that maybe there's a God. But intellect alone cannot lead you to the conclusion that you can be asked about it on the Day of Judgment. You need a prophet to come and tell you there's a Day of Judgment and there's a punishment for this and there's accountability for this. So that's why the Asha'ira said intellect and fitrah is one thing but to know that you're accountable in the sight of Allah that's a whole other thing. You need a prophet to come and tell you that. What's this? New company? Mm, no, it was like a bubble tea place, but the cups are so nice. Bubble tea? Yeah. Eyeball tea? Eyeball tea. You drink those eyeballs? Yeah, yeah. I don't drink, I don't drink bubble tea. I don't feel comfortable with those wiggly eyeballs <laughs> in my <laughs> mouth. You, you drink bubble tea, Ryan? I love bubble tea. Oh, I, I, I never take that bubble tea. <laughs> that stuff is jiggly and wiggly, right? That stuff is nasty. What is the etiquette of the Masjid in Nabawi and sending salam on the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? You go into Bab al-Salam like everybody else's and you say, As-salamu alayka ya Sayyidina ya Rasulullah. As-salamu alayka ya Aba Bakr al-Siddiq. As-salamu alayka ya Umar ibn al-Khattab. Are antidepressants haram? You mean dhikr? Dhikrullah? Uh, optimism? That's not haram. And uh, عِنْدَ ذَنْ I'm in the opinion of my slave. Isn't that what Allah says? I'm in the good opinion of my slave. If you think good is going to happen, then that's what you're going to get. If you think bad is going to happen, that's what you're going to get. That's our antidepressant in Islam. And maybe I'm a bit harsh on this, or maybe I'm wrong about this, but to me, unless you have a clinical issue, maybe you should see a doctor for that. But to me, the general, general depression, when people say, I'm a bit depressed, I'm down, that is caused by events and thoughts. Maybe the events and thoughts have affected your body, but the root cause is events and thoughts. Therefore, it's to be treated by actions and thoughts. Okay? That's my belief on this. Yes, maybe there is a clinical element to this. Okay? Allahu A'lam about that. Okay? Allahu A'lam. All right, let's go to... Aisha Mukhtar, does that mean it is fair that the Spanish converted Cordoba Mosque to a church and won't allow Muslims to pray in it? It's not fair from a Sharia standpoint, but from a life standpoint, you don't like that the Cordoba Mosque has become a church? Guess what? Don't get conquered. That's my answer to you. Go conquer it back. We're not like the woke left who whine about everything. You got conquered. I don't like what's going on in Palestine and Jerusalem. Don't get conquered. We got conquered. Simple math, right? Simple equation. You got conquered. They're winning. The Jews are winning because they're conquered. Because we sinned against our Lord. And by the way, we're getting worse. Because we never haven't... The public discourse of the Arabs is not anymore that we're defeated because we disobeyed our God. Nobody says this on the news, on the TV, and on, nobody talks like this. That's why there's no solution. All right. Um, uh, Maliki Click, Ryan, Oz, they all feel that Maliki Click is he's ready to have his own gang. I think he's ready to have his own gang. It's always slow. It's a learning process. Nobody's perfect. It's a slow process. It's very boring for the first decade, maybe. But if it's in your heart, you're going to get it done, and you're going to enjoy every minute of it, right? I think he thinks you mean like a real gang. Yeah, our type of gang. Sunni Islamic gang. 
That's what we are. All right. What are the other questions here coming from? All right. Let's see. The Prince. Matthew. Should I peruse knowledge or pursue? I think you meant pursue knowledge. Even though there is nuts in my deen, especially if it's in my obligations, in the case that the knowledge might fix them, or should I keep my deen uncorrupted? You have to go and learn, because you can't practice without knowing anything. How could you practice something? How could you improve if we don't have knowledge? You have to have knowledge. All right, We have to learn. We have to be studying all the time. Non-stop. Nimra, there are many people on Reddit, Twitter, Facebook. They share creepy things their kids told them. And most of them are related to reincarnation. There's no reincarnation doctrine in Islam. H. Baz, is it proper to ask the angels for other help as well? Being lost, catching animals. It is. I have a question regarding yeah. reincarnation. Like, We do believe that we existed before our existence on earth though right so if someone were to say like they got some cash about like previous existence but not as an earthly being right we, do, we only exist as earthly beings once in our aqidah you exist as a soul in the heavens you come into the, your mother's womb you come into this world you then exist in a soul in the barzakh we know very little about the life of souls and then you get resurrected in the day of judgment there's no, you don't come back. In, in the Quran itself negates it. Doesn't the Quran say, the kuffar say, let us go back, yeah. and let us go back to the dunya to do righteous deeds, right? And Allah says, if you were to go back, you would have done the same deeds. What you do in this life is what you would do forever. So that's why uh, there is no reincarnation. That's the evidence. Sayyid Muhammad Daniel Hassanain. If we know someone didn't receive the message of Islam in any way and consider them saves, can we pray for them? No, because we said in Islamic law they are mulhaq bil kuffar. Mulhaq bil kuffar means they are treated in this world as kuffar. Buried with them, their inheritance laws apply to them, the du'at rules apply to them. Even if we know for sure they never received the message of Islam. I'm sure we can find somebody that we know for sure is not received the message of Islam. Hupu, if praying for Raka Sunnah before Dhuhr, do we sit for the second and recite Surah Fatiha in each Raka? You recite Fatiha and a Surah, and according to the Hanafi school, you don't have to break for Salam, but in the other schools, you will break for Salam. They're not going to act upon that hadith. The other madhabs will not go by that hadith, they'll go by the stronger hadiths. Fatima says, if one is married and has no children, what is the distribution ratio for the inheritance? He has three sisters and two brothers. They're treated, the three sisters and the two brothers, if they're full brothers and sisters, right? Full. Not brothers from the mother, brothers, sisters from the father. Full brothers and sisters. Then they get the ratio. They're treated as, as if as the children are treated. And I should review that, but from what I know off the bat, no children, no parents left. All you have is the siblings. It's divided amongst them as if they were your children. Can I use a razor in the Maliki Madhab? Yes. If Sanya says, if parents can stop contact over small issues or disagreements, 
and don't even talk to their grandkids. It's getting toxic and bad for my mental health. Can, can't concentrate. What to do? I tried to stay with them, but things are not working out. I would recommend you, rather than me give you any answer, to check and have a consultation with a real life, like a live, in-person counselor, family counseling. And you could use cornerstonecounseling.com. Cornerstonecounseling.com. Also, read. Aren't you... Where's Reed? Aren't you a counselor? Right? And you work for counselors? Family counseling. Okay. Can there be four different types of ijma' from four different schools? There must be more ijma' other than the ijma' of the whole Ahl Sunnah. Please help. Ijma' There's ijma' within a madhab and there's ijma' within all of Ahl Sunnah. And, that's, and then the greatest of ijma is ijma sahaba for example when Sayyidina Umar instituted a policy and nobody objected of the sahaba that's ijma sahaba when Sayyidina Uthman instituted a policy that's ijma sahaba when they established Sayyidina Abu Bakr as the khalifa that's ijma sahaba okay and then there's ijma of Ahlul Sunnah in the first three generations and then there's ijma within the madhahib that can differ and ijma can come later. Like, what do we mean by ijma can come later? We mean that an issue didn't crop up in the time of the Sahaba, or the first, second generation, or the third generation, and then it cropped up in the in the, or the Sahaba is the first generation. It cropped up in the third or fourth generation. Okay, it cropped up later, and the scholars came to an agreement on what's the correct answer to that. Then the ijma was established. So that's what's called an ijma that came later. Uh, AA says, what is this online high school? Yes, a lot of our friends, their online high school is called Legacy. Legacy High School. I think it also goes to K through 12, too. Abby KM says, man, this iPad is smoking. Yeah. Is it the, is it the Apple does that? It as well. Apple does that, right? Yeah. They make you miserable after a couple of years. Isn't there an ayah of Qur'an where there is no excuse for anyone? Okay, we talked about that. Um, is it true that there is a ruling allowing pork gelatin in the Madiki Madhab? I have to read that and get back to you, cause, but I did see the istihala ruling in the Madiki Madhab is pretty vast. Did Harun teach that? The um, istihala? Yeah, like... Transformation. I spoke to you about it and you said that you stick to the more... Like, okay, we'll talk about that offline and, and get the answer for everybody. It's better to be cautious, though, right? Yes. The, the Ummah, generally, Muslims don't eat gelatin. Right. You definitely... Not generally. We definitely don't eat yeah. gelatin. What do you say? You definitely mentioned if there was an, uh, an alternative. There is... That is no idea. In the Madiki method, there is a vaster istihala ruling, yeah. but I never got into the weeds on that. Right. I, w- I will, and we'll talk about it. How do you break an addiction? You'd be more stubborn than the addiction. You're more stubborn than the addiction. Right, you have to be. You have to have faith in Allah. Addiction is meant to break your will. That's the test. And your will here is your iman. Okay, traveling. Reed says traveling a safe route to visit your friend is it permissible? It's permissible, and you, but your whoever is your dad or your husband should have a should have knowledge and and be okay with it, right? And there are certain things that I'm sure that a husband or a dad will always be okay with because they have it, have it all the time. So, for example, um, I think most husbands 
in the middle of the day, their wives go out in certain places without telling them because it's a norm. So there is common sense involved. And when you deal with these things, look at how the righteous people handle it. How do they live together, right? And you'll see that. So when we talk about the women have to ask permission to leave the house for a husband, it's when it's really like sort of leaving the house, like far off. Every wife goes to the supermarket without telling her husband, right? Joe Rogan keeps talking and cheering about Ayahuasca. They're probably paying him, that's why. These guys, they're messaging, right? They got to reach for everything new. In New Jersey, weed is now legal. Plastic bags are illegal. So go figure. Yasmin, is a Muslim woman allowed to ride a bicycle? Yes. Is it true that women are the majority in hell? They're the majority on earth and in hell. Because they're they're more than men in general. Jude the Dude has joined the the, the live stream. Okay. So I guess that maybe is our first trans... She says she's a dude. And the picture is a woman. Uh, Halla White is asking about Hajj. So the Saudi government themselves have not confirmed anything about Hajj. It's very odd what's going on. So, yes, wait for next year. You're not going to get it next year, this year. They have a waiting list of over 100 people, and nobody knows what's, where, if they're going or not. All right, let's go to YouTube for a little bit. Sophia Al-Lahyani. Wasn't Umm Ayman with the Prophet ﷺ mother so that she stayed with him his whole life? That's correct. Baraka was with the Prophet and is one of his nurses too. If I'm not mistaken, she nursed the Prophet ﷺ. Baraka was with the Prophet his entire life. Sayyid al-Kawni. A lot of uh, basic medicines for depression. Write down or just daydream your ideal situation. Walk in the sun. Eat good food. Talk to your friends. Recite the book of Allah. Do tahajjud. Fast. Like, it doesn't have to be fasting from like a sharia fast, but starve yourself. Empty your stomach. There's so much of your mood is determined by your stomach, right? I, I read this theory that your mood is actually born out of your stomach. It's an interesting theory, right? It's an interesting theory. The humors, right? Humors, because yeah. it affects the humors. So by emptying your stomach and almost like not eating a lot, you end up sort of cleaning the slate. Who knows? Try it. It's one of those things that you just try it. Um, AA says, Maliki Click, be careful of the Cardolos. The... The gang leader, the group leader, he has to have instinct. He may have nothing else, but he's got to have instinct. He's got to know, this guy's for me, this guy's against me. He's got to create little situations where it could be clear who's with you, who's against you. Muhammad Azogbi, how would someone go about having a house Islamically? you got to use, the only way you got to use universal financial or... Guidance. When it's mm. oh, someone asked me about rings in 
Yes. Only silver or other rings? Only silver. Anything silver or less. And only one ring. Okay, so like platinum. Are you on? Is he on? Platinum would not be allowed because it's worth more than gold? No, it's less. It's allowed. Any non-gold, I should say. So non-gold is allowed? Yeah. And... um, but like, is it permissible or is it like permissible? What? Okay. One ring only, okay. where Muslim man is allowed to wear. Um, what, when people say ijma'an, what does that mean? It's very important to know some things are haram by ijtihad, by scholarly um, effort. Some things are haram by clear texts. Let's. What's What's a great example of this? Crab and lobster is haram in the Hanafi madhab by ijtihad. Pork is haram by nas. Nas is a direct text. Haram bil ijtihad, haram bil ijma' or bin nas. There's no discussion on the tahrim of pork. There is discussion on the tahrim of lobster. You ask any of these brothers, these Desi brothers, when they go up to Boston, they're all eating lobster. And in the sense that some people, the max you would say, oh, you went against your madhab. That's the max you can say. You can't say, you did something haram. Hmm. Yeah, haram for you. Right? Strange questions, what does Islam say about life on other planets? Allah Adam. Who's here, Rai? Yahya. Yeah, yeah. It's so exclusively hot up here. It is oh so God. exclusively yeah, you go hot. Down, it's, just, it's, it's the Middle East. I asked Marwan. I, I told Marwan, please come with this air condition. He hasn't answered me. Okay. Uh, Rutgers? All right. Elegant admin says, if husbands cheat on wife and goes live with a new woman without nikah, is it right that he demands to take the kids overnight to the lady's apartment? Of course not. No. Uh, That is, you can have, basically get yourself divorced from him and she should take the kids. Which dhikr should we do in order to get desperate needs fulfilled? Honestly, the, the uh, desperation is what's important. It's the desperation. And then Salah on the Messenger, I believe it has been said so many times by the people that it causes du'a to be answered. Uh, Pasha International, also known as our main man, Ismail. What is an appropriate du'a to make at the graves of the righteous? If you believe that the grave of a righteous is a garden from the garden of paradise, and if you believe that du'a is mustajab there, now, is that an accepted doctrine in Islam? It's a speculation. Because some ulama have said that they've, they have experienced that du'a is mustajab at certain people's graves. right? So, we cannot say as Ahl sunnah and just shout that as, a, like as if it's a ruling. It's just some ulama said this. But when you go to a dua or a grave of a righteous Muslim scholar, you simply say, Assalamu alaikum. We ask Allah to, uh, to give you rahmah and to give, make this grave an abode of paradise and to make, let us reach you in Jannah, till Firdaus. Maybe something like that. But that's it. Would you say that holding on to the deen today requires courage 
I would say it requires courage. This is from Lily Shire, from the aspect that we are constantly going against the grain, right? And that's why I uh, say once and twice, I've said it so many times, you need to do this as a group. No one wants to go against the grain by himself, right? You ever have a, uh, be at a wedding and you're the only one who's not partaking in the nonsense of the wedding? You feel like so left out. You go take a walk by yourself around the thing like a loser, Kick right? Some rocks. Kick some rocks in the parking lot like a loser, right? No. Or like you get five other guys, right? Let's get the heck out of here, man, right? And then you feel good about yourself because I'm with five other guys. We find a place to pray. We'll hang out outside, right? And we just chill and we have a good time, right? Being together against the munkar. When you're together against the munkar, it's actually pretty fun, right? Noreen, what is the difference between Salafi and other sects? Uh, we'll talk about that another time. We'll talk about it another time. What do you do in this life? That's what you would do forever. Yasmin is saying, yes, that's correct. Whatever you die upon as a decision about the deen, that's what you would have done again. Now, if Allah created you a thousand times, you'd do the same thing. I think she was quoting you. What's up? I think she was quoting you. Yeah, she was quoting if one is sending a thousand salawats on the Prophet every day to get their needs and their desire fulfilled, then they should never stop. Now you do it out of shukr after that. Right? You do it out of shukr, out of gratitude. Can you talk about the Sanusiyah of Libya? Yes, we'll talk about the Sanusiyah of Libya and some of the shiuch of Bilad al-Hind. Yes, we will talk about some of the shiuch of Bilad al-Hind. If you're being tested and the test is distracting the ibadah because your mind is on the test, how can I keep focus? Make your test your dua in your ibadah and believe that your ibadah can remove this bala from you or make you stronger for the ibadah. Okay. Elegant admin says, please pin those. Which ones is she saying? Which one are we pinning? Can't remember. Okay, let's go to YouTube. Read for the sister who needs counseling. What's your name and email? I know of a family counseling service. Okay, good. There we go. Prince Matthew, do you think that reading the Quran is the same way, in the same way it was revealed better for a person? Like basically getting almost the same guidance? No, recite the Quran as Sayyidina Jibreel put it, because you don't do a khatim on the way of it was revealed. Sayyidina Ali had a mushaf on the order of revelation, he burnt it. Why? The way it is now is not a human invention, it's from Sayyidina Jibreel. Sayyidina Jibreel said, put this surah first, put this surah second. So that's why we recite it that way. That is from Sayyidina Jibreel, and that's the best way to recite the Qur'an. Is oral contact with marital spouse permissible? Yes. Can a woman go into Umrah without husband? Yes. Uh, no, Umrah? Yes, but not just like leaving, but yes, she can, her, it's be valid Umrah. It is valid Umrah, yes. Okay. What about shrimps and prawns and mushrooms in the ham, in a Hanafi school? They differed on shrimp, if I'm not mistaken, but prawn, uh, which is prawns? You know that prawns is shrimp. Yeah, it's like a big shrimp, right? Prawn? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I, I thought prawn is just shrimp. Is a prawn. Like That's what they like call it anyway. That's what they call it anyway. Prawns. What? We didn't know. They're how all to... prawns, like in. Uh... I think so. In England, this is the word for shrimp is prawns. Oh wow! I didn't yeah. know that. Or an aubergine <laughs> is the word for eggplant. 
Prawn is a marine yeah. crustacean mm. that resembles a large shrimp. I should have known that you got it right. It's, it's different, yeah. right? It's a big shrimp. Are yeah. you allowed to lie in Dawa? You're not allowed to lie, but you're, you don't have to say every single word of the truth. So, for example, you don't open your Dawa with that, you know, uh, the had punishment for this is that. You don't open your Dawa with that. What does mustajab mean? It means your prayer will be answered. What's your opinion on Imran Khan, the Prime Minister of Pakistan? I don't know anything about the politics except that you guys had the coolest Prime Minister or President in the world. You got rid of him. At least on the world stage, he was a great ambassador, right? I don't know anything about the politics. The counselor, elegant admin. Uh, Reed, are you on YouTube or are you on Instagram? Reed, could you go to Instagram because someone's asking about your counselor. So Reed will answer you. Can you send the family counseling reference? Oh, more family counseling. Khala White says, I thought all seafood was halal. Yes, that's correct for the other madhabs, but not uh, the Hanafi madhab. And the sea creatures is different on how do you define a sea creature. The Madakiya is the broadest, which states that anything that could survive in water is a sea creature. The Shafi'i said what lives most of its life in water is a sea creature. The Hanafi said what dies outside of water is a sea creature. So they did, they did they differed on sea creatures, and that the bottom dwellers are dirty, so they disallow them for being bottom dwellers, dirty animals. They say they're dirty, but when I eat lobster, it's very clean to me. Now they farm them. Crisp. <laughs> uh, what's the definition of surviving in water? Like a lot of animals like a frog can swim, could, for example. Yeah, if it survives in no like, no like a bear could swim, you know what I mean? Yeah, think. that's no. Yeah. But it's like, for example, a frog can survive in water, right? Yeah, like an alligator, like uh, right an alligator. Thing, like they they hold their breath naturally. Yeah, alligator. So they can fall asleep in water. Yeah, exactly. No, they don't hold their breath. Oh, they don't hold their breath. They're they're, they're a type of animal that when they sleep they stop breathing. Yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess that is. Yeah. Alligators in 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 Florida they eat gator. By the way, they do. It's and not that good. I've had it. Alex really wants to eat gator. It's not that good. It's it's like. Tough chicken. It, it, it to like. me, it's sort of disgusting, right? To see the gator, but... Yeah. Have you ever had it? No, i never eaten gator. Yeah, they had it at Rutgers once. Like, it's just... You Why? eat it once... Yeah, and then just for the just sake like, of it? Yeah. yeah. You ever seen videos on YouTube? I texted you. I texted you right before I ate it. I asked, oh, really? Is it permissible to eat this? <laughs> oh, okay. Like, yeah, I was like... I you know, it doesn't have to be slaughtered. Yeah. It's, that's the key about that. Sea creature does not have any slaughtering. So you can eat it from any non-Muslim restaurant. Saja says, if you do a good deed and something good happens, could you connect the good deed with what happened? It's possible. It's possible. Right? Hassanin. Shit, what are your views on Hamza Yusuf? I don't want to get into that, but what I, my, my little thing with him, of course, which he's very upset about, is that I went against that study Quran, and I still hold the same position. There's so much perennialism tucked into that book he's going to promote it, at least tell the ummah it's full of perennialism. It is full of perennialism. You can't deny it. Every footnote about this goes back to their essay at the end, which is all perennialism. So, uh, whatever. But I still stand by that. How do you explain from Ash'ari point of view 
Allah not creating to creating. Potency of change. So he didn't create, then he created. Okay. How do you explain that in the Ashari? No, so we say that everything is in Allah's pre-eternal knowledge. And the time in which this thing manifests in the creation is also known. Okay. So that is not a change. Because the knowledge is with him pre-eternally. Okay. And then it comes into creation at a certain time. So it's not like, yeah, you're here, born in what, 1994? 2004. 2004. Uh, 2003, that's okay, well, let's create Yahya. No, the knowledge of Yahya exists with Allah free eternally, and that is part of that knowledge is that He comes into physical existence in 2004. I have an uncle who's a hoarder, Muzammil says. Can I subtly throw away the things that are excessive? If you're his caretaker, yeah. If you're his caretaker, if he's a very old man and you're his caretaker. Yasin, can you send the links for Sheikh Zuhair's class that was mentioned? I sent it. And the podcast of Imam Zaid. Is it Kanabu? He's on YouTube, by the way. You seen Kanabu? Yeah. No, Your yeah, boy. You seen Kanabu? Oh, Eminem says, What is the aura for men in the Madiki Madhab? The aura of the private part mainly and a little bit above it, a little bit below it. Is it true that the angels do not recite the Qur'an? I never heard that. Marine Green says, What is the place of honor killing in Islam? Killing a daughter or a girl if she exposes her body or gets into a relationship outside of marriage? One, it's There's no place for it in Islam. It's 100% jahiliyyah. It's ignorance. We don't have anything like that. Honor killing in Islam? That's insane. Is it allowed to attend mixed weddings? If not, what is causes of tension and family relations? You're not allowed to attend a mixed wedding, but if your boycott of it is going to create a greater fitna, then maybe you have to find a middle round where you show up and in the time where there's no dancing and frolicking around, and then once they start that stuff, you leave the hall. Go to the bathroom, check your voicemail, have a conversation in the parking lot with somebody, go put something in your car. Khalawai, what Quran are you talking about? I'm talking about a book called The Study Quran. It's called The Study Quran. Is your brother saying, can we listen to his lectures? You can listen to the lectures if what he's saying is, is good, of course, because this is like a decision that he made. It's not his aqidah as like that he's completely out of Islam but when it comes to that port I would say so uh, let me just forget the individual let me just talk in general if a person is a Sunni as an Ahl Sunnah and they make a certain decision that you disagree with then that part is something that we say we're not going to listen to but the other things that they say that's good yeah we can listen to it alright let's uh, remind everyone as we we should have done this otherwise our sponsors is patreon.com you can support this live stream and this uh, podcast by going to patreon.com and becoming a supporter patreon.com backslash Safina Society and you'll support this podcast also meccabooks.com you can get really good books from there and professors 
Huh? The exemplars. You can get the exemplars from there. And we'll probably be involved with some of those interviews. And you can also go for tutoring at professorsone2one.com. All right. So these are our sponsors. And then you could take our classes at artview.org. Read. We can attend a Hindu wedding or Christian wedding or non-Muslim wedding as long as we don't participate in the religious activities. That's correct. Uh, we recognize them. Sharia recognizes them as marriages. So, and if they were both to enter Islam, then they would just have to rectify the marriage by, for example, um, if there wasn't a, a mahr, a sadaq, or a dowry, then they would pay that. If there was a, something in the marriage contract that was invalid, just invalidate that. Uh, they would just rectify those things. But we do recognize them as marriages. Secondly, uh, of course, we're talking about Hindus and Hindus, Christians and Christians, but for example, a Muslim woman with a Hindu man or a Christian man, that wouldn't be an invalid. We can't attend that. All right, let's stop here because we have gone um, for a long time making up for yesterday's day off for Memorial Day. Uh, they used to talk differently on the Arab media about having been defeated. In general, the Arabs used to speak when you go to any Arab, oh, we have to return to Allah. This was like a dialogue. It's not there anymore. Sophia Al-Lahyani says, apart from sending Salah on the Prophet, what should we do uh, if we want to see the Messenger Sallallahu in a vision? A lot of Salah on the Prophet and reading his Shama'il and his Sirah. How do you recover from getting on a grip, on getting on a grip of, on yourself, then loosening it? This continuous cycle. I guess that means too strict, too light, too strict, too lenient. If you keep the company of balanced people, you will be balanced. Uh, ABCDFG says, "What it? What does it mean when they say oral contact? You really want to get into that? There may be kids in this podcast, in this live stream." Everything in sexual relations between husband and wife is halal except for anal sex by the male. Okay? And sex during height. Vaginal sex during height. And touching her between in the outer area during height. Three things. We have three more hours of classes tonight. I'm already losing my voice. Jazakumullah khairan everyone. Subhanakallahumma bihamdik. Nashadu an la ilaha illa anta. Nastaghfiruk wa natubu ilayk. Walasr. Inna al-insana lafi khusr. Illa al-ladhina amunu amilu salihat. Wa tawasubu al-haq. Wa tawasubu al-sabr. Wassalamu alaykum.